How's it going, Yankee fans? Welcome back to Fireside Yankees with your boys, Alex and Ryan. So today we're talking about Hector Neris and debating on whether or not the Yankees should actually sign him. If you haven't heard, Josh Hader landed with the Houston Astros on a, what, five-year, $95 million deal, the biggest relief pitching free agent contract in history. And then uh, Robert Stevenson went to the Los Angeles Angels on a three, uh, $33 million deal, $11 million per season. So the Yankees miss out on two of the top remaining bullpen arms, and Hector Neris is one of the remaining ones. Obviously, Jordan Hicks signed a new contract to try to be a starter. Maneris um, is probably one of the better remaining relief pitchers available. Uh, we're going to discuss his value. Now, it's important to note that he did reject an $8.5 million player option for the 2023 season, or 24 season, rather. The Astros obviously decided to go with Hayter for their own reasons, um, and Neris remains available. And, you know, he has 14 innings of playoff experience, which is a little bit, nothing crazy, but at least he's been to a World Series. At least he's been to... A high leverage situation and, and performed last year coming off his best season now 34 years old we'll debate kind of I, i'm against it i'm against signing hector naris all oh, this is my reasons um ryan has more favorable reasons you know the pros and cons kind of of this scenario but you know ryan before we dive into it how do you do to my friend and what are you thinking about hector naris as an asset for the yankees yeah, so first and foremost, I'm doing great. Uh, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of football on today. It's a good day for sports. And, you know, as we get through the NFL playoffs, we're getting ever closer to pitchers and catchers reporting and baseball taking the center stage as the uh, biggest event in sports. So really excited for that. But when it pertains to Hector Neris, I do believe Hector Neris would make this bullpen a lot better. I think, in fact, he brings a couple of things that the Yankees desperately need. And not a couple, I'm going to say more, a few things. It's going to be more than two. Um, first and foremost, he has excellent damage prevention. He had a 329 expected weight on base average on contact, which for a layman's terms, you can just simplify that to just damage contact. How often do you give up hard contact, contact that, you know, will result in home runs or extra base hits or stuff of that nature. We adjust for launch angles as well. So we know a hard hit ground ball is less favorable for a hitter than a, uh, you know, less hard hit, but still a well-struck line drive, right? A, 90, a 100 mile power ground balls to the shortstop is hit harder, but I'll take the 95 mile power line drive towards right field because that has a better chance of dropping for a hit. With that being said, Neris is a fly ball pitcher, and I, I do have concerns about that in the American League East, but he's been able to maintain the home runs in a ballpark like Houston's, and Houston isn't, you know, the most pitcher-friendly ballpark in the world. Obviously, you have the Crawford box in left field. A big thing that Hector Neris has worked on with the Houston Astros that's made him better is that he's added some vertical ride to his fastball. They've upped his release height. It has given him a fastball but just, it, it's really good. It gets a lot of whiffs. Last year, got a 29.1% whiff rate. He's able to throw it in zone a good amount too, a 54% zone rate. And the damage contact against, 354 x Wobicon. Again, that's really good. That's above average. It's a really good fastball. I know it lost a tick of velocity this past year, and that's definitely a bit concerning, but it was able to actually perform better than it did last year despite the declining velo. As for a splitter, it's his money pitch. It's his go-to pitch. It's always been his best pitch, but in previous years, he hasn't been able to lean on other pitches outside of the splitter, and it's left him vulnerable. If you guys aren't aware of kind of what Kevin Gosman's flaw is, and he's a splitter kind of guy, it's that he can you know, leave the splitter over the plate and go up a lot of line drives. That happens to Hector Neris a lot in Philly, and it left him very susceptible to damage contact, and it's why he was in and out of that reliever role. He was constantly giving up home runs, giving up big hits, uh, but with the four-seam fastball, it gives him another pitch to go to to keep hitters honest, and this splitter is gross. I mean, it gets negative uh, inches of induced vertical break, meaning it's dropping a ton, and it's got a 284 x Wobicon. Again, damage contact metric. It's not allowing damage contact, 
and a 42% whiff rate. So the Arsenal, the two-pitch mix is really good. He also has a sinker he can work in against right-handed batters, and they chase 42% of the time against the pitch, so he can throw it down and in, and batters are going to swing out of their shoes to try to get to that pitch, which is going to result in a lot of weak contact and a lot of, of just poor swing decisions. Whenever you get batters to swing at pitches that shouldn't be, uh, that when you get batters to swing at the wrong pitch, you're doing something right. That's what you can almost simplify pitching to. And then for the other reason, he's durable, right? Like he threw 68 and third innings this past year. He's consistently been a guy who can come into a lot of games. Um, you know, he's been like top three in appearances out of the bullpen in the last three years. And the final thing, and this isn't a data point, Alex, there's no number behind this. There is nothing to go. You know, there's no fan graphs, no baseball savant. There's no nothing. It's the fact that he is an emotional guy on the mound. And I think the Yankees need to have cojones this year. The Yankees need to have a team attitude that I think pulls them together a little bit more. I'm sick and tired of other teams having champagne celebrations at Yankee Stadium. In 2018, who celebrated their AL East title? The Red Sox. Where? At Yankee Stadium. When the Red Sox went to the ALCS, where'd they celebrate it? At Yankee Stadium. In 2019, I know we got walked off in Houston. In 2020, we didn't have a home field uh, at all. The Yankees didn't play in Yankee Stadium in the postseason. Um, but in 2021, also didn't play in Yankee Stadium in the postseason. But 2022, the Astros, they're dancing on your field. Our field, Alex. Our field. In 2020, even, in the postseason, the Rays would come to... Yankee Stadium, it beat the crap out of the Yankees. The Yankees need to have a team attitude that I think ups the, the, the uh, tempo in terms of competitiveness, in terms of just saying, nah, we're not going to let another team, like, we're not scared of the Astros. The Rays can't show up and just slap us around the field without us, you know, bouncing back and, and rebounding and getting t winning tough games and stuff like that. How many times have the Yankees trash-talked and won a game? I mean, every time we have an incident with the Yankees, like, showing up and showing out, they lose, right? The Mets situation where Stain's, like, showing off to Lindor, and then, you know, there's a little bit of a scuffle. We lost the game. Lindor hit a third home run. Are you kidding me? Right? In 2021, right, the Yankees and Red Sox are going at it, and the Red Sox beat us in the postseason. This past year, the Red Sox, who finished in last place, showed up to Yankee Stadium, swept the Yankees, and Alex Cora threw a sham champagne shower in the clubhouse and then they finish in last place that can't happen I'm tired of it I'm not laying that I don't want that to keep happening to the Yankees if teams try to disrespect us I want us to beat them I'm not saying throw at them don't do that I don't want free bases we don't want suspensions we don't want stuff like that but I want to win games and I want to be able to beat teams that have talked to talk against us there's no reason why we haven't beat the Houston Astros in what 10 years right in 10 years of postseason play the Astros have mollywopped the Yankees there's no reason why that in my lifetime the Yankees are 0-3 in playoff series against the Boston Red Sox the Yankees need to have for lack of better terms things need to have some balls and I think Hector Neris definitely brings that to the table yeah I mean look it's always good to have personalities and he, here's my take on it I don't think that you know Hector Neris being excited on the mound is going to make um, a significant difference between us winning a World Series and losing it I think you know it's obviously a benefit but here's my here's my fear about Hector Neris um, now look you can always have good bullpen arms and the Yankees consistently churn out really good pitchers that are basically either forgotten or no one expects them to have any value. Um, 10 years, like, or sorry, $10 million because like a realistic deal for Hector Naris is going to be two years, $20 million. So 10 million per season at 34 years old. I just don't see the necessity of signing a player like this who has 14 innings of postseason experience. It's nothing to write home about. Um, I just don't see the benefit of having a 34-year-old who'll be 36 when his contract expires, and he only has really one great season over the past couple of years. So, for example, you know, 171 ERA this past year, 68.1 innings. This is the same exact situation that I look at with, like, a guy like Blake Snell. You know, it's a different scenario, but um, you're looking at – you're buying at the highest value right now. You're buying – 
Hector Neris at 34 coming off his best season. Can you expect him to run that back? I'm not necessarily so sure. And for what it's worth, during the postseason, he's been freaking terrible. Um, he pitched last year 8.1 innings for Houston in the postseason. He had a 6.48 ERA. Um, he has a collective 4.40 ERA in the postseason over 14.1 innings. So he has a little bit of experience, but he's not been very good. So, you know, yes, the energy, I see that being a benefit, but I also question whether or not he actually has the cojones to pitch in the postseason. Um, so, like, that's kind of one um, objective that I would make. Now, you know, looking at, obviously, guy produces pretty solid strikeout numbers. He's a low ground ball guy, only 31.8% ground ball rate last year. Um, so, you know, he does walk. Yeah, he did walk four batters per nine, um, which is, you know, not great, but you can kind of skirt around that if you generate rather weak contact. But I'm a little concerned about the low uh, ground ball rate and, you know, Yankee Stadium being a fly ball kind of stadium. You put that thing in the air to right field and you never know what's going to happen. So it does concern me a bit. Um, I just don't think, like, if you look at his averages over the last five years, for example, the 171 ERA stands out as his best season, so you'd be buying at a high. His, you know, ERA in 2022 was 372, and his the last time he had an ERA sub-3 was back in 2019. So in between then, he never had an ERA below 363. So, you know, I feel like we've gotten more value out of Ian Hamilton, you know, or Clay Holmes or guys that are much cheaper than $10 million per season. In fact, I'd rather put, like, Will Warren in the bullpen, give him some opportunities opportunities to get experience and I think he'd actually be equivalent if not better based on the 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 regression I anticipate um I do not think that Hector Neris is running back a 171 ERA he's been poor in the postseason over the 14 inning sample size which is small enough that you can say you know he could bounce back and have a good you know good performance and it would be forgotten um but you know I'll ask you this Ryan to you know give your get your take on it based on his averages from the last five years He's been wildly inconsistent. I think that we get managed to get, and you, you, I know you're the one of the bigger proponents of Matt Blake. We managed to get a lot of value out of guys that people don't see value in. And I feel like spending ten million dollars on a player who's likely to regress anyway. I feel like we can get similar value from another player at a much cheaper price point. You know, what what is your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I have no doubts about. It. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, the guy with the one seven one ERA last year is not going to regress. Like, there's no such thing as a median outcome one seven ERA pitcher. That doesn't exist at all. Right? Like that's not a that does not exist. And projection systems are a little bit uh they're they're a little bit uh, bearish on, on Neris. They have a 4.09 ERA for Steamer, and that's definitely a concern. Um, but I do believe in his ability to overperform that mark. Um, I believe that he's going to overperform their 1.22 home run per nine projection of him. But I do understand why people would have uh you know paused about hey this is a guy who's coming off a year where he had a lot of really good fortune a 219 BAPIP a 90.5 percent left on base rate uh, a home run for, to fly ball rate that wasn't you know particularly high either and would that number go up in Yankee Stadium right it was 8.6 percent this past year is it going to go up again and if it does you know that's going to mean more home runs and more runs being driven in and fewer converted holds and fewer converted saves and stuff of that nature um and, and if they were to say all right you know we have Neris at 10 million dollars a year for two years or Middleton for five million dollars a year for two years how can I sit here and argue that they shouldn't sign Middleton right like is Middleton half of the pitcher that Neris is I don't think so um, so that's definitely a fair point, but I guess my, my overall, the, the thing that I really think brings Hector Neris value, value here is the fact that his skills have gotten better. Like there are things that he's done in terms of, uh, preventing damage contact that should stick going into next year. I know that's a little more, um, that stuff is a little less sticky year to year than like, you know, just dominant strikeout rates or dominant command. Um, but I, I do believe that the skills are going to stick. 
you could argue again, like there are other relievers you could get better value for, but I'm not sure. I can't read the market and say like Middleton's only asking for $5 million a year for two years. In fact, I think if he was asking for that, the Yankees might've already signed him, but I could be wrong. Um, and, and ultimately for, for the Yankees here, like would Matt Blake not just excel with Hector Neris the same way that he would excel with any reliever, right? Like if we're going to get more value out of a lesser reliever, would not, would we not be able to elevate Neris's profile that same way? And I, I think the Yankees are kind of missing, uh, not missing because they have a lot of, you know, very durable guys in, very, in terms of like guys who are going to be really good next year in the bullpen. But I kind of want another just stable guy. Like I can throw him in the ninth inning and I'm fine. Like, I, I don't know if that's, I don't know if, if I'm being a little bit too like stuck on past performance perhaps, but I just, I look at Hector as I say, all right, if it's, you know, a, a, a big game and it's the ninth inning, I can go to Neris as my closer. I don't know if I can go to Keenan Middleton to close the game out yet. The thing I really like about Wani Peralta, and I think you appreciated this about Wani too, was that it really didn't matter the leverage of situation. Wani Peralta could get out of it. He could close out games. He could bail other relievers out. He could come in the seventh inning, the eighth inning. He could throw multiple innings. He could kind of do whatever you needed him to do. I feel like Hector Neris has that same playability and that same flexibility as a reliever where I'm not necessarily sure that Middleton has it. I don't think that, you know, closing the ninth inning is necessarily impossible for every pitcher to handle, but we've seen it before where, like, certain guys just can't handle the ninth inning for some reason. Uh, I remember Chad Green, if, if you remember in 2021, for some reason, you would throw him in the ninth inning and he was just shaky. It was just, it was always weird. He could come in the eighth inning with, like, three runners on and get out of it, but ninth inning, nobody on, and, you know, the Yankees are up by two runs, and Chad Green, you know, at least has the tying runner on first or something of that sort, so... I just, I feel like Neris has the tighter distribution of outcomes. I think that it's a safer bet that he's going to be good next year than a guy like Middleton. Um, and you're the Yankees. You kind of have the money to spend. Why not, right? Like, it's $5 million going to be the difference between them getting somebody and somebody else. Uh, not necessarily. And they're not going to sign two relievers, most likely. They already have Luke Weaver as their eighth reliever. And they have six guys in their bullpen that are probably going to make the team on opening day, barring any injuries. So I don't think they would bring in two guys and force themselves to, like, option Ian Hamilton or, like, option Scott Efros or something of the sort maybe they do not view Scott Efros as like major league ready right now in terms of his health uh, maybe they think hey we want to take it slow but nothing is indicated that they want to take it slow it, it seems like he'll be on the roster on opening day uh, so I, I think if the Yankees are just going to get one more reliever I think they should get their the, the guy who they think is the best and I personally think Neris has a case to be the best um, of that group and the most reliable and the most like closer ready and all that stuff but if the price points like what two years like 28 million dollars something of the sort I wouldn't pay that price. Like, I'm not paying $14 million for two years for a reliever. And I think you agree there. I'm more in, like, the $10 million a year, $8 million a year kind of range. I'm not doing anything more than $10 mil. Yeah, I mean, look, it's something the Yankees could consider doing. A lot of the bullpen arms are now off the market, so he's one of the better ones. But, you know, I do think that we can lean a little bit more on Tommy Canely. We're paying him. Um, I do think Scott Efros is going to be ready to make a pretty significant impact um, with a, more than a full year under his belt after Tommy John surgery. So, you know, we'll see We'll see how these things develop. But I do think, um, you know, I certainly wouldn't not like having that Hector Neris. I think that we could definitely uh, use another bullpen arm that has experience and, you know, coming off a really great year. It's never a bad thing. I'm more so like I don't want to lock in – 20 million dollars into a player that I think is going to regress um, again two years is what it is not a big deal but you know that next year 10 million dollars and you you need that to go and you know push something over the hump or you know you're already thinking like damn like some of our younger guys are stepping up and making an impact out of the bullpen. Um, I see why the Yankees may want to save that that money. Uh, but we'll see. This is definitely an interesting discussion. Always happy to hear your perspectives down below in the YouTube comment sections. As always, make sure to like and subscribe. And we'll catch you guys on the next Fireside Yankees episode.